0: We have a great show today. We have a special guest who will join us to talk about some Arizona football news, which we know there is Arizona football news. Recording on Wednesday, and Arizona is down two schoolers apparently heading into the season. Colin Schooler, Brennan Schooler, entered the transfer portal not because of Arizona, but I guess because of the Pac-12.
1: Schoolers canceled in Arizona for the fall semester. Ooh, that's nice.
0: That's really good, and. Trust me, we, we're going to get into that with our guest coming up in a little bit. So don't think we're ignoring that. It's huge news for Arizona. It's unfortunate news for Arizona, albeit understandable. Let's talk about some games, though, right? And not football-related. Arizona basketball picked up their first commit for the next year's class. K.J. Simpson decided to join Sean Miller's program for 2021. Uh, combo guard type of player. And he's their first commit for the 2021 class. Not a bad gut. Not a bad gut for Sean Miller to start things off with.
1: Yeah, I think he's a consensus kind of top one hundred player. That there's a lot of discussion that he might be a guy that rises in the rankings if rankings get revised when people aren't playing basketball in <laughs> in, in the in the current time being, and you know the AAU circuit is you know shut down for the time being. Um, you know, you watch a little bit of his film, you can see why Sean Miller likes him. He's a he's a, seems to be a pretty heady player. Pretty good athleticism. All the all the highlights I was watching, granted, they're highlights. You know, pretty aggressive guy, which I think Sean Miller appreciates. Um, as long as you stay, you know, aggression with uh, playing within the the realm of what the defense gives you uh, is, is kind of what you want out of a guard, right? Uh, and I think generally the athleticism and maybe some length is there for that guard position that he could become a decent defender. So, you know, all in all, pretty solid way to start your 2022 recruiting class
0: yeah now he's from california so that's a departure from arizona's previous recruiting model you know california is still part of the united states of america so he's not coming from overseas but one thing that he does have in common with what we've seen for the 2020 class is he doesn't right now project to be a one and done type of player for arizona now sean miller is not going to avoid those guys i know they're in on some players who would be potentially one and done type of talent but you see some of the focus on getting guys who might still be around multiple years. So when K.J. Simpson gets on campus, he'll be joining a team that has a bunch of high-level sophomores next season, and then when he's a sophomore, there'll be juniors, and when he's a junior, they'll bring in more talent. So it's, it certainly does speak to that new style of recruiting, or at least a uh, new plan on the recruiting circuit that Sean Miller and his staff have focused on, that, yeah, they're not avoiding five stars, they're not going to avoid one-and-dones, but they're not going to try to build classes that are just comprised of basically one and duns
1: anymore. Yeah, and I th- I think I misspoke. I think I said he was a 2022 commit. Uh I believe he's 2021. Simpson, I think yeah, my 2021. brain
0: 2021. Well, every year I... he might not play until 2022 the way things are going. So, yeah.
1: yeah. He, well, I think my forgiven. I think my I think my my brain just held down the fast forward button on 2020 for a little too long and I ended up at 2022. You lucky <laughs> son of a <laughs> Um yeah, yeah, it's this is the kind of guy that you can kind of build the foundation of a class out of and, you know, if if you're if you're following the new model that seems like Arizona basketball is doing, especially in terms of adapting with the G League and more guys playing overseas as options instead of going one and done. You know, this seems like the kind of guy that you want to target um, is a guy that will probably be, you know, a high floor, reasonably high ceiling. He's still fairly young. You know, I think I've seen the comps thrown around of uh, Nick Johnson or Kadim Allen kind of type player, which they could use you know, another you, one of those guys. If you get if you get a Nick Johnson, Kadeem Allen type of player, that's a you know that's a valuable player. <laughs> yeah. Um. So, I think to your point, if you if you add that on to some of the guys that will still be around in a couple of years, um, you you get the makings of you know a consistent contender.
0: And another player for let's stick with Arizona basketball. Little piece. I don't know if it's news, but I it's one of those where like, oh, how about that, James Akinjo? At this point, with the Pac-12 canceling sports until at least January 1, James Akinjo, the question was when he would be eligible to play for Sean Miller's program, right? He transferred after a handful of games at Georgetown. Well, now if they're not going to play until the second semester anyway, you'd have to assume that whenever Arizona takes the court again, they'll have James Akinjo, which now this team too, with a lot of the freshmen getting to campus and getting a chance to work with each other, some of those growing pains that you would have expected from this team early on, like they're not going to have those games to play, but they're going to have in theory, their entire roster whenever games do start. And we know there's been talk about how they could get college basketball, different bubble situations and all that. And basketball certainly seems easier to accomplish than football, just in terms of there's fewer players, fewer coaches. Just it takes a lot less to bubble a basketball team than it does to bubble football programs. But it does seem like Arizona, at least the question marks they had going into this season, The we thought the season was going to start in two months, two and a half months. But the questions that they did have going in, will largely, at least for them, be answered when the season does start, whenever that is.
1: Yeah, and I think that, I mean, you assume that maybe that means Akinjo will get to play starting January, but it's the NCAA, so who knows what they will do. Um, I think there's been some rumblings, if you follow the Twitter machine, of maybe some clever ways of creating bubbles if you start even, uh, you know, there was talk about using Orlando as a bubble for a tournament type thing during the semester break or some schools playing when there's not students on campus, which avoids, you know, in late December, early January, uh, which kind of gets around some of the amateurism questions and ability from a safety perspective to isolate basketball players from students being on campus. So it seems like there's a little bit more optimism for college basketball. Uh you know, don't count your chickens until they hatch because most optimistic COVID takes have not not uh, turned out well for most of 2020.
0: But the big fears for football, right, and it's a valid concern, was that even if you do a spring season, well, you're still going to have uh, an NFL season for all these guys or the next season within months of that season ending, right? Like, it's, football is so hard on a player's body, where it's like to expect them to play two seasons or a season and a half within a calendar year, that's a tough order. But in basketball, these guys often play almost year-round. It's a different sport. It's a different level of, I guess, I don't want to say pain, but wear and tear on your body. So a lot of the players who are thinking, and again, like Colin Schooler is transferring because he wants to play, but there's also a chance that he'll never play a down-of-football again if no one plays until the spring because a lot of guys will not do that for football. Basketball, that seems less likely. You seem less likely to see players decide to go pro, because they don't want to play uh spring season, because they're going to play in the spring anyway. They'll just play, you know, and they don't play the winter games. So, you know, so it's, that won't change for basketball. So, like, certainly in the last, since we last recorded on Wildcare Radio 2.0, the whole dynamic has changed because the NCO Pac-12 said no fall sports, right? And now there's rumblings the Associated Press is talking about giving a free eligi- year of eligibility to players who don't get to play their fall sports, which, we're going to see what happens, especially with the Pac-12 and the conferences that have made that decision. Of course, there are other conferences you think they're going to play in the fall, and I guess good luck to them. But that also leads into the college schooler news that we touched on already. But certainly there is optimism isn't the thing you want to look for right now. Like We'd like to. Like, I guess we want to be optimistic, but you do have to kind of play it by ear and to see what can work. And we're seeing in the professional level, the NBA, their bubble in Orlando is working it didn't work for the Phoenix Suns who went 8 and 0 and missed the playoff playing game but it's working in terms of keeping guys healthy keeping things safe and letting the sport continue. The NHL has their little bubble, it's working for them. Now we don't want to look at college athletes, student athletes as professionals. It's it's absolutely not the same and to expect them to do what they're doing there is it's ludicrous. It's not fair and it's just wrong, but it shows that it can be done if certain measures are taken.
1: It can be done so long as uh, college basketball players like NBA players can avoid the temptation of shall we say a desire for chicken wings <laughs> like Lou Williams um, in NBA but you know you got to feel a little bit more optimistic uh, in terms of looking into 2021 for basketball certainly than you do for football just because of what you're talking about and then you know lord knows we all hope that there's a vaccine as soon as possible. It's effective, and we can get the disease under control. Where you know people are wearing masks. Every every week and month is a is a step towards increased likelihood of participation in these sports. And you know the NBA and NHL have proven that in that in a controlled environment it can be done. Now it's how do you do that with a much larger headcount of people, and how do you do that without people having to travel and pass through airports?
0: And then how do you do that? How do you plan for all of that? Because obviously everyone's kind of, it's a day-by-day, week-by-week thing. And there's a lot of people who thought the Pac-12, within like a week and a half, two weeks of announcing a, a conference-only football schedule, decided, well, no football at all until at least January. And it's, no one knows what to expect. Like, we're all hoping for the best. We're all, I guess, in some ways expecting things to improve. But until they do, it's really tough for these programs to plan. Now, the idea that they did that, especially for basketball, it makes some sense. Because it allows you to, instead of saying, how can we rush and get this done in two and a half months, to say, okay, we have now five months to figure this out. Which gives you a chance to make a better plan for January, assuming January is better. Or February, whenever they decide to play again. But it's just such an interesting time for college. an an interesting time for everybody. But in terms of this podcast and what we talk about, it's a really... It's to look at what they're trying to do, what they haven't been able to do, and then what they're going to attempt to do. It's like it's intriguing to see what they can come up with because there's a lot of people who think Larry Scott is actually doing a pretty good job managing this. You know, you see other conferences that are like, oh, we're going to go, we're going to go full steam ahead, and then all of a sudden now we're seeing the reports of different schools with had students on campus. That's lasted all of like a week before there have been clusters of COVID nineteen outbreaks. So <laughs> you know, it's it's the world we're living in, and they're all trying to figure out the best way forward. And the Pac-12 is definitely taking the most cautious approach right now to say, you know what, we're going to stop everything right now, we'll talk about this again, and we'll try again in five months. Not that they're not going to be planning for it over these next however many weeks and months they have, but they're like, we'll just give it that time because time is everyone's best friend at this moment.
1: Hey, Adam, how does it make you feel to say something nice about Larry Scott like that? <laughs> I blacked out. I What What did I say? You <laughs> said like the, the Pac-12 and Larry Scott are... Basically handling this pretty well. I said that. <laughs> <laughs> Are you sure? <laughs> I mean, relative to other conferences. I. I mean,
0: I. I if, I could delete that and editing if I need to, if it sounds that crazy. But, yeah, I don't remember saying. <laughs> I mean, right? Like we, we've been on this show multiple times. We talk about how we did not expect sports to happen this fall, that we didn't know if it was going to be safe, that we're not epidemiologists, we're not viral. We don't study these things, but just the way it was going, it didn't seem like it would be the prudent thing to do, especially while they're still learning of some of the negative side effects from even being asymptomatic with this thing. So the cautious approach is totally understandable. And it seems like the Pac-12 is doing that. Now, maybe where they went wrong was announcing a conference-only schedule and people going like, yeah, that's doable, we can do that, and then being like, ah, never mind, like pulling the rug out from under everyone within two weeks' time. Like, that might have been a mistake. But that also shows the volatility of the situation that they're all dealing with.
1: Yeah, in the long run, there's a very real chance that that looks still more prescient. Because to your point, it's easier to plan now for five months to make something happen in January for for fall and winter sports than to be, you know, spend more time planning and less time erasing the whiteboard with what you just planned two weeks ago and trying to rebuild it again and scramble. Yeah. You know, now you can probably get a little bit more stuff in you know, planning in place. Like both Arizona and Arizona State as schools have done a you know, by most reports and most accounts, a fairly effective job of, you know, cons- you know, slowing down uh how how many students are coming in, you know, even the athletes, like they were, they came in batches, they were getting tested consistently, they were quarantining, you know, I think Jason Shear was on Twitter saying that if all the Pac-12 schools were doing things similarly, not just the the athletic programs, the schools in general, that, you know, you might be able to be doing uh, college sports in the fall, but, you know, at the end of the day, you're still in a community where there's wide community spread, and that's the, that's the biggest variable.
0: Yeah, and, all we like we talked about, the Schooler brothers, they were not willing to wait around for Arizona to start playing football again. After this break, let's take a break, and we come back, we'll bring on our special guest for this week's show and have a good conversation about all of that because I guess Arizona football never
1: stops? It, it never stops. <laughs> 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 so
0: let's, let's discuss more with our guest after this break. Welcome back, and we are excited to be joined by Michael Lev of the Arizona Daily Star, Tucson.com. And, Michael, you know, you'd know, you think that here in August, with a season that has been postponed, the Arizona football news might take a bit of a break. And here we are recording on Wednesday, and the news never stops.
2: Yeah, we had breaking news right before this podcast, didn't we, guys? Yeah. The, uh, the Schooler brothers have decided to enter the NCAA transfer portal um, this does not come as a huge surprise to me. Um, I've talked to his dad several times during the offseason, and they really wanted to play, and they really want to play, and they're not going to have that opportunity in the Pac-12. We know this. They might have that opportunity in the SEC, the Big 12, the ACC, um, the AAC, You know, one of the conferences that are, you know, is still trying to play. So by doing this, they're giving themselves an opportunity to possibly play this fall. And if they can do that and put some more good film um, out there for NFL scouts, you know, they feel like they have a better chance of getting drafted next spring.
1: It's kind of an interesting situation. I think it's hard to fault the players given they want, like, as you said, they want to play football and that's not an option right now in the the Pac-12 at least, and there's at least... A chance of that potentially in some other conferences did in talking to the school or family do you get the perspective that uh if other conferences delay to the spring as well or it would they still want to transfer Or you know there were some rumblings that they were maybe going to sit out at a spring season at arizona if that's what it came to um, I, I wonder if if it's this is more of just a give the chance to have a fall fall or nothing at all kind of situation for the schooler brothers
2: yeah, I think that's the case. Um, what the dad had indicated to me was, if things got pushed to spring, they weren't sure they were going to participate, whether that was here or anywhere. Um, it's a very tricky situation, the timing for a lot of these guys. Um, you know, if if the Pac-12 were to somehow pull off a season in January, February, and March, I think that would allow for a long enough runway for guys to still prep for the draft and then join NFL teams several months later. Um, If the season started in late February and went through, you know, went into May, I just, you know, there'd be too much overlap. I I just don't know how it would be possible to pull it off. Um, The timing's even trickier for these guys because, I mean, they need to get somewhere probably within the next couple of weeks. You know, I'm sure they're in good shape, but they still need to get enrolled in classes learn new systems, um, all those sorts of things. Um, And then hopefully for their sake, you know, they'll have a chance to play football. It will be really weird, I think, for the college football um, viewing nation if this actually happens, right? And some conferences play and some don't. Um, I think most of us, I don't want to speak for others, I would say my opinion, I'm, I'm still skeptical about whether, these other leagues are going to be able to pull this off but as of right now it's it's still on the table
0: and, and that's what makes this so interesting too because obviously they are looking to transfer they have not transferred yet and to try this so quickly one they got a, you can find a space for the schooler brothers right if you're a, a program out there that's going planning on playing still they're pretty good players you could find a spot for them but now like I know Colin and Brennan like they're good players but they're not exactly day one day two. NFL draft picks and I was thinking and we've talked on this show before where if Arizona or just the entire college football season was postponed to winter or the spring that they may not play just because they have little less to prove at the college level right like their draft stock would not necessarily improve with another season so that's what makes this interesting to me or what seems interesting because I get that they want to play they're football players they want to be on the field but it's almost like Getting on the field won't necessarily help them, I wouldn't think, get to the next level. So it seems like it's just a matter of they want to play football and
2: that's it. I don't think that their situations are the same. Like Colin Schooler, I feel like we kind of know what he is at this point. I mean, he's played for three seasons, the same position, the same school. He's been pretty consistent over that time. Obviously, he could have a breakout senior season. It's, It's happened before. Um, With various guys, Brendan Schooler, on the other hand, I think he would have been in a more featured role here than he'd ever been in before. Um, I think his role would have been more defined. I think the year of film is more valuable for him than for Colin. Um, But the, the common thread that they have is that they love football and they want to play football. And their family believes that they can do so safely. Um, and obviously they don't have that opportunity at Arizona or in the Pac-12. And I know that there's also going to be sort of a, I don't know, negative uh, perception, I think, that will get thrown at Arizona because this has happened and Tony Fields left. Scotty Young left early in the offseason. I think in the case of the Schooler brothers and in the case of Tony Fields, this would not have happened if not for the pandemic. Like this was pandemic prompted
1: yeah that's that's hard news for arizona fans to hear because we it feels like we're always just having the what-ifs happening in in games and over the course of a season but i guess to take it back to to the arizona wildcats you know i think we all wish the schooler brothers well where does this leave kevin someone and paul rhodes with the defense you know we did a we did a position by position depth chart analysis over the last couple of months uh trying to fill some content while there was no sports happening. And the the middle linebackers in a new scheme, uh, you know, we felt we we came to two conclusions. One, that we really liked the starters, assuming Tony Fields and Brendan or Colin Schooler would be at the the starting spots. And we were highly concerned about the depth. Uh, And now it seems like the first conclusion is very no longer applicable. and The second conclusion is all that remains and is amplified. Where does that leave the, the defense right now if you're trying to switch schemes to a four-linebacker scheme?
2: So I was thinking they yeah. go
0: five one five or 6 one four So which one of those are they going with?
2: Yeah, it's funny. They suddenly have an abundance of defensive linemen and not really enough linebackers to play that scheme. Um, I think if there's a season that takes place in the winter slash spring, you're obviously going to see a lot of younger guys um, at those positions. Hopefully Anthony Pandy... A senior will stick around and assume more of a leadership role. Maybe by that time, um, freshman Jabbar Triplett will be ready to play. Remember, he blew out his Achilles in spring. I think if he hadn't gotten hurt and there had been a fall season, that he would have been a second teamer uh, along with sophomore um, Darian Clark. Um, and I think those guys would have kind of been next in line for the for the Mike and, and Will positions in this 3-4 scheme. Um Other names that I've heard that conceivably could be in that mix, Derek Morning, uh, one of the uh, incoming uh, freshman linebackers, and then also a name to keep an eye on. I don't know what position he's going to end up at, but Eddie Siamau Sanatoa, um, entering his second season um, from American Samoa. He, I think he played some safety in high school, I could be wrong about this, and he was lining up a defensive end during the four spring practices um, that Arizona had. But he's listed at 235 pounds. He's played in space before. Um, I think he could be a candidate, too, um, to fill one of those roles. Um, If we are pitching things forward into the 2021 fall season, they're loading up on linebackers um, in this recruiting class. And I think they're also probably going to have to look into the grad transfer Uh, or junior college markets to get a little bit more experience. You don't want to have all newcomers or inexperienced players at those two critical spots, if you can avoid it.
0: Is that maybe the benefit to this? Because they were obviously going to lose schooler after this season, whenever it was played. They were going to lose Tony Fields after this season, whenever it was played. And since Arizona wasn't supposed to be particularly good this season, you can bring some of those young guys in, and they get those meaningful game reps, whatever game reps there are to be had. And then when the 2021 season or yeah, the 2021 season actually happens, assuming it does happen. Then all of a sudden they're young, but they have experience at those positions and they have that experience for the next few seasons.
2: I mean, if you view this winter slash spring quote unquote season as kind of a developmental opportunity for younger guys, I think that it can be a great benefit to not only them, but a lot of other young players who are going to be stepping into um, more prominent roles, including Grant Ginnell, who got valuable experience at quarterback um, as a freshman, but he never really was the guy for an extended period of time. Um, I think you know with Brendan Schooler leaving, that opens up more opportunities for Booby Curry and Jalen Johnson at those outside receiver positions. Both of those guys were freshmen last year. They played a little bit. Arizona loves um, their upside. You know, they've got plenty of wide receivers. Brendan Schooler would have given them, I think, a size-speed combination that maybe no one else on the outside positions has, uh, but they have guys to make up for it. Inside linebacker, safety, those positions are really lacking in depth. They were lacking in depth before all these guys decided to transfer um, during the offseason, and the situation's even worse now. Yeah. The, the
1: frightening thing is, you know, we lost all the safety depth You in past years. You might say move a safety up to, to play a linebacker spot. And I just don't think there's the bodies there to do that now with all the, the mass exodus in the last 12 months from the, from the roster. Right.
2: I had theorized at one point in time that Christian young would make for a really good will linebacker. He seems like he's a little bit better in the box than in space and has a strong safety in this scheme that might be where he kind of, um, operates most of the time anyway, but no, they can't afford to move anyone from safety to anywhere. I mean, they need to move guys to safety. Um, I mean, they're probably going to have to move a corner. I'm not sure who that would be, um, to, to one of the safety spots. They're going to have to shuffle things around, moving some edge guys um, into the interior of that defense. Um, I mean, they could be the beneficiary of a grad transfer um, heading into January if that's when we start playing. We also don't know at this point whether mid-year enrollees are going to be eligible for this so-called winter-spring season. That could be beneficial for them as well. I haven't gone through uh, the entire class to figure out all of the guys um, who are in that position, but um, there's usually a handful who push to do that. Um, And they're and they're usually on track to do it by this point anyway. So whether there's high school football or not, whether there's spring football or not, there should be a handful of newcomers arriving in January.
1: Yeah, that was going to be my next question to you because we've talked about that possibility when we were talking about the possibility of a spring uh, season. All those early enrollees at a school like Arizona that doesn't have depth—how much does that help you in recruiting too? If you're you know, a four-star linebacker right now that is an early enrollee. Does that help Arizona in terms of, hey, you can come in and, you know, <laughs> just print out a copy of your depth chart, put it on the table, and say, give me a call.
2: <laughs> yeah, it's a you it's know? a great point. Um, I, I think that one of the selling points that the staff has at certain positions, anyway, is you can play right away. You know, there are massive opportunities here. That is especially the case at those two inside linebacker spots and safeties, the positions that we've uh, been talking about. And I feel like the NCAA probably is going to let those players participate. Um, If they're really all, if they really care about the safety of these players, they would give them um, an opportunity to play because it would enhance the depth um, of the teams that are participating or that might participate um, we know that other schools, Arizona's not necessarily in this position, which is not good, but other schools are losing guys to the draft already. Um, and you're going to see that across college football. If those other conferences end up having to shelve fall football and it becomes a nationwide type of movement, I mean, I would imagine, just spitballing here, that there's going to be 100 guys who opt out, maybe even more who... Deem themselves or have been told, you know, that they're top three round picks in in the upcoming draft, and they don't want to subject their bodies to you know extra wear and tear just you know a couple of months before the draft or you know a few months before the the NFL season in 2021.
1: Well, and how many? You know, every spring it seems like Arizona and a bunch of other schools have guys that just forego even their last year of eligibility. If you you know the AP announced that they're that there's a report that the NCAA is going to basically give an, a free year of eligibility to these players. And I imagine if you do a spring season, even in a shortened season, you know, the redshirt rules are not going to apply. They're going to exp- have to expand the rosters. There's going to be a lot more guys competing for playing time, which makes sense from a health and safety perspective, especially when I got to imagine <laughs> in this uh, strange time without normal spring practices, without normal camps, it, the college football season, if it happens in the spring, is going to look an awful lot like the fourth NFL preseason game with a lot of guys <laughs> trying to figure out where to be on the field, <laughs> which you know can lead to a lot of injury opportunities, right? So I wonder also if there's going to be a lot of guys that drop out that are just the guys that are burned out and not even going to get to play because there's going to be some of those young guys coming into
2: play. Uh, I know that this idea of the winter slash spring season feels kind of – Um, it's almost absurd you know um, it it seems improbable um, maybe like a pipe dream for it to happen I feel like a couple of things need to be in place one like I said earlier I think all of the conferences need to be in on it it's a much more appealing idea if it's all of college football doing this it's more appealing as a television package there's more interest across the nation you, you eliminate the awkwardness of some leagues playing in the fall and some not, some playing in the spring, some not. So that's one thing. The other thing is I think it's way better if they can do it in January, February, and March and be done with the season, let's say, by the middle of March or the end of March, um, as opposed to that Jeff Brom plan, um, which called for starting up in late February. Um, I get it. Weather-wise, it makes a lot more sense, but I think there are workarounds for that. You know, there's several domed stadium options um, in the Big 10 footprint um, and in the Big 12 uh, as well. Um, And, you know, the weather is not as much of an issue in the ACC, SEC, and Pac-12 as it is um, in those other parts of the country. So to pull this off, I mean, it's going to take a lot. We also, of course, have to have better testing the the viral spread you know, needs to dissipate those things need to be in place too um so it's it's a lot of factors it's there's a high degree of difficulty but i think it's at least possible
1: is is the worst case scenario right now for college football fans wanting to see some semblance of a season like that that the sec and a couple of conferences try to start in the fall play a game or two and then have to call it off and then they're
2: left kind of in our even more awkward position trying to get to the spring. I mean, I think that it's sort of a gut punch to the fans of those leagues or for all of us, really, who love college football, if that happens. Um, and it very well could happen, right? I mean, they they, uh, they could get to the starting blocks and run a lap or two before having to shut this thing down again. Uh, Based on some of the reports we've been seeing about North Carolina and Notre Dame, Michigan state, having to basically close their campuses. um, I don't know if they're even going to get to the starting blocks.
0: And we're joined here by Michael Lev, Arizona daily star covers the Wildcats football, baseball. We often refer to you, Michael, as a friend of the program. And I think this is probably the first time where we could say that with full confidence. You know, we appreciate you joining us for all this and, Like, Brett, neither Brett nor I have been terribly optimistic that football is going to happen, certainly in the fall. You know, we're more hopeful of the spring because, obviously, during a pandemic, time is everyone's best friend. Like, things could be better enough in February March where they could do it. But, obviously, no one knows that. And, Kevin, someone spoke, I want to say, yesterday, Tuesday. And I know you've had a chance to talk and written some stories and all that. What is the feeling like for him because – Does he expect football to happen for anyone in the fall? And then is he confident that football could happen for the
2: Pac-12 after the first of the year? He was um, very skeptical about fall football. You know, the point he made was we, the Pac-12, put out this schedule. And then less than two weeks later, the season was over, Mm -hmm. you know, so it can change that quickly. He's not one who makes a lot of assumptions or declarations about things that haven't happened yet and things that are uncertain. So he was really kind of hesitant to go there as far as um, a spring season. He has not been as bold or as forward as some of his colleagues who've you know actually outlined specific plans. I've made reference to what Jeff Brom did, uh, the Purdue coach. Um, I mean, he laid the whole thing out. He had a whole schedule. Right with like, like this is how many times you practice. This is how many times you're in pads. This is the number of total practices over the course of the year. All that stuff, and it, it was he made a really compelling case. Um, so you know, someone's focus for now is like, how can we get better? You know, it's, it reminds me a lot of one of um, Jay Johnson's uh, main mottos, the Arizona baseball coach. You know, it's like 1% improvement every day. Mm -hmm. You know, I think that's kind of the approach that they're taking with the football program right now. How can we get better? What can we do to improve our team chemistry, individual skill sets, um, strength and conditioning, um, all of that stuff for when the time comes that the green light is given and we can actually get back out on the football field.
0: And I guess, I mean, was it, Eight months ago, nine months ago, there's a lot of people who thought Kevin someone might not even be the coach right now. And it does seem like, at least from our vantage point, that he has handled this whole crazy situation about as well as you could expect from a coach. He didn't go off like, you know, Dabo Sweeney or some of the coaches in Mike Gundy and say <coughs> silly things, dumb things. Early in the pandemic, he has taken that measured approach that you kind of see from him on the sidelines. Is that kind of the impression, too, from the players and the families that they're very impressed with how someone on that coaching staff have handled this offseason?
2: Yeah, I haven't heard a lot of negative feedback about the way that Sumlin and his staff have handled all of this stuff. They've been very open with their communication, um, which is a word that you know he will use on a regular basis whenever you talk to him. He's a big believer in that. Um, I agree with you that his demeanor is good for a situation like this. He, he's not one of those guys who gets too high or too low, or is going to, you know, kind of, um, lose his stuff, you know, um, as it were, (laughs) you could say whatever (laughs) word. Right. I mean, we know, we know, we know that the previous coach, uh, Rich Rodriguez, that would happen to him from time to time. Usually it's because someone messed up on the practice field or the team lost a game. Um, it wouldn't, it wouldn't be because of something like this. I'm sure he would have handled this, um, you know, just as well as someone has, Uh, But I've been impressed with the leadership that he's shown. Um, And you can make a case that, you know, this could work out to his benefit in some ways. Like, this is a young developmental team that's going to get more time to develop without having to go out and lose games, suffer injuries, um, suffer blows to their confidence.
1: So we've talked on this pod uh, about how we can kind of see that, you know, kind of doing the Joel Embiid trust the process seems to be the approach that someone's been doing the last year or so. And you can kind of see a, a type of plan in terms of the types of players they're recruiting. They're trying to go get more size along the, the lines and move out. They're hiring a de, you know all new defensive staff with a large focus on player development, which, in my opinion, it makes sense in the long term at a school like Arizona, where you're not necessarily going to compete for all the five-star guys. The question is, how much time do you have to get there? and how much buy-in do you have from the players and the families and the ability to win those recruiting battles? You know, That being said, uh, you're, you're obviously more of an insider than Adam or I. What's, what's your read on the direction of the program as a whole?
2: I think they're headed in the right direction. Um, I think they have a good plan in place as far as how they're attacking recruiting, the types of players they're bringing in, where they're getting those players from, Texas, California, Louisiana, um, football hotbeds. They're not in the market for the four and five stars right now. And I don't think they're going to be until they start winning. Um, there's definitely a cause and effect between those two things. Um, so they're taking more of a long view. They're trying to build more of an infrastructure. That's that's kind of the thinking behind building up the lines. I mean that's the that's the backbone. Of any football team, so I like how they um, have attacked all of that. I think it would benefit them a great deal whenever they do get to play. If they were able to pull off some upsets, generate a little bit of buzz. If Grant Gannell is as good as we think he can be, uh, because that makes all the difference, you know. If they, you know, if they were to play ten, if they were to play eight games, let's say, in the spring, and they went one and seven, let's just say, I think that could be really hurtful for the program. But if they went 4 and 4 and one of those victories came over Utah or ASU um or USC um something of that nature, um I think that that would really give the momentum that they built even more of a push.
0: You know, you say that and we've said similar stuff too where we feel like the program is going in the right direction, but of course when the winds don't follow It's a tough sell to people, right? People might say, oh, you're being homers and everything. But Brent and I have also talked about, too, we feel like had Arizona maybe even beaten ASU in someone's first year, right? They don't blow that big lead, or maybe they make the field goal. They make a bowl game. They're playing pretty well by the end of that season. Who knows what carryover you have into last season, but it's probably a better situation. It seems like someone – I don't know. He didn't get that goodwill that Rich Rod got early on, taking over a three-win program. I think it was the year before Rich Rod took over and taken to a bowl game the first year, but someone took over a team that maybe didn't have quite as much talent as a lot of people thought, because Khalil Tate was just amazing for a month and a half. Uh, does he, I guess maybe it's not for you to say if he deserves to, I'm not going to ask you if you think he should keep his job. That's not any of our plays here, but like how tough is it to say this guy does have things going the right direction based on what we've seen on the field. And I guess in recruiting, it's really
2: hard to say because it's a bottom line kind of business. The results haven't been there. I mean, they're 9-15 and 15. Um, in his two seasons. They're riding a seven-game losing streak into whenever uh, they get to play again. A lot of several of those games weren't even competitive. I mean, they they were not in it at any point against Oregon or Utah. Um, you know, it would have really helped the program if they had won that game against ASU, but they didn't. Um, and... Then they went into the following off season. You know, there was uncertainty about whether Khalil Tate would come back. He did. They tried to make it work for a variety of reasons that I'm sure you guys have talked about uh, many times. Um, it just didn't quite ever click for him and Noel Mazzoni and Kevin Sumlin. Uh, you know, now they're trying to take things in a new direction. Um, I think that you know the team chemistry will be better with more clarity at the quarterback position whenever uh, things get started up again. But like I said, when I was talking about recruiting, like you just said, you got to win some games, you know, and, and you've got to win games in the PAC 12. The reason that Rich Rodriguez was able to generate that goodwill is that he went eight and five his first year, you know, and took, what did say? Took over a three win team. I mean, Kevin, Sullivan. Took over a seven and six team that had this, you know, this superstar quarterback at least on paper. Hand in the Heisman, right? Right, hand in the Heisman. There was there were a lot of expectations. I I agree with you that Khalil's um, awesome play masked a lot of the problems that the team had. You know, covered up a lot of things. Um, you know, I mean, a couple of those. I, was the Cal, the Cal game on the road was part of that streak in yeah. October, right? And I think it's schooler than the back of the end zone on the two-point conversion two right. at the end. Right, yeah. So So that, that's a game, if you kind of look at that as sort of representative of the streak, I and mean, that's a game that could have gone either way, easily could have gone either way. Um, it's a game where they gave up something like, what, 45 points, <laughs> right? Um, this is not a fully formed team. Um, I, I think a lot of us maybe overestimated it. When you do have a, a transcendent talent at quarterback, you can cover up a lot of your flaws. Um, but when that guy's hurt, or the the system isn't quite right for him, or they haven't quite you know figured out the right mix, then all of those flaws are revealed. And that's kind of what happened.
1: So sticking with the the notion of building the team the right way with quarterbacks and kind of going back to the program going forward, what's your take on? the quarterback room right now, assuming that all of the, the, the young guys they like Clay Millen, they have committed, uh, holds true. They have Will Plummer they have Grant Cannell. They still have, uh, you know, Kevin Doyle has opted out for the season. At least maybe he, maybe he comes back. Maybe he doesn't. And you still have Rhett rod. You got to think if you're, if you're building from the inside out, if you're an Arizona wildcat fan, you look at that quarterback room, you got to feel pretty optimistic for the future. Don't you?
2: I would. Yeah. Um, I think we all liked what we saw from Grant Gunnell his freshman year. I think the most impressive thing was that he turned the ball over only one time. You know, a 9-to-1 touchdown-interception ratio. That's one of the statistics that I value the most is that TD-to-INT ratio. He also completed uh, over 65% of his passes. They weren't all of the dink and dunk variety. You know, pro football focus has said he's also one of the most accurate downfield passers. He should only get better. Um, I I think he'll um he'll be hard worker, he'll be studious, um, he'll be a good representative of the program. I think he's got the potential to be a really good college quarterback who can operate the system that Noel Mazzoni runs like a point guard. Um, I think on um, our Wildcast podcast uh, that that we do, Justin Spears and I have talked about kind of point guard comparisons. And you could say that Khalil Tate was kind of like a Russell Westbrook, you know, super athletic, um, capable of highlight real plays. But, you know, is he really – he's not a traditional point guard. You know, he's not the kind of guy who can – who's going to run the offense and set everybody up necessarily, you know. Um, And Grant Cannell is more of a Chris Paul type of guy, more, I think, of a classic distributor of the football. I like – the potential of Will Plummer a lot based on what I saw um, of his high school film, Uh, more athletic, more capable of making off platform type of throws. Um, And I liked what I saw from Clay Millen's um, film as well. And he obviously has really good bloodlines um, in football DNA uh, coming from the Millen family. So I think they're in good shape um, at a really important position.
0: And the skill position talent too, though, that's the thing where, You look at the receiver group, you mentioned some of the guys who would step in when Brennan Schooler's not there now, but the running back room appears to be one of the strongest, maybe the strongest position group on the roster. The receiver, there's plenty of talent. It seems like a game manager or a point guard type of quarterback who will get the ball into the hands of the playmakers. This is an offense that, if the offensive line can hold up, should be able to produce some points.
2: I agree. I I like the skill position talent that they have. Um, I think when you look at recruiting The easiest thing to find is running backs and receivers. There's always an abundance of those. The hardest thing to find is defensive linemen, especially interior defensive linemen, and that's been a huge problem for Arizona. They've dipped into the junior college and graduate transfer markets to fill some of those holes. You mentioned the offensive line. I think on paper, it's got the makings of being solid, You know, good enough. Um, Assuming that everybody sticks around, we don't know whether that's going to happen. I mean, Josh McCauley was heading into his fifth year. Donovan Lies had a lot of stuff happen in his personal life. Um, You know, his father passed away um, last year. So I think there's a little bit of a question mark there. Um, Like the potential of Jordan Morgan, but he's super young and unproven still. Um, So he's got a long way to go. Those JC guys that they brought in last year, Peyton Fears and Josh Donovan, I think could form a solid right side of the line you have to have all of that in order to take advantage um, of those skill position weapons um, Grant Gannell is not as mobile as Khalil Tate but he did show I thought a decent ability to move around within the pocket also showed patience at times staying in the pocket to take a hit and deliver the ball um, that is going to happen from time to time no matter how start, stout um, your offensive line is
1: Yeah. I think his only turnover that one uh, interception referred to Michael was actually hit while he was throwing. So it's, you know, from a blindside spot. And I, by the way, I liked your basketball analogies and I just imagined in the basketball point guard analogies, Khalil Tate, what Rich Rod was always looking for was Steph Curry, the guy that just shoots it from half court as soon as he gets across (laughs) the line. Um, Now, whether they can make it or not, (laughs) it might be a different question. Um, But yeah, I think i I actually feel cautiously optimistic about the offensive line. There is some guys that redshirted too, like, you know, Jamar Williams is a guy that was has some potential that people forget about, I think. You know, they got some good commits coming in this year, and you got Gary Brightwell Jr. who might be the most overall talented, you know, skill position player on the roster with a game manager. You got to think that they can I think that the if you're going to take the optimistic take, you hope that the offense if and when they get to play can maybe manage the clock, uh, you know, control the running game, not turn the ball over, and maybe mask some, some issues on the defense and try to hold that together with scotch tape popsicle sticks and not playing 15 yards off the receiver when it's third and eight?
2: <laughs> I think the, the turnover, the value of protecting the football um, cannot be overstated, and you make a great point that you can, you can protect your defense by protecting the ball. You can keep them off the field. Um, Khalil Tate's last game, I don't want to turn this into a podcast where we're picking on Khalil Tate, but his last game against Arizona State, a 10-point game, he threw a career-high three interceptions. You could argue that at least one of them wasn't his fault. The ball bounded off of, you know, Bam Smith's your shoulder pads or whatever, but there were miscommunications with receivers. Um, obviously something, you know, that's stuff that shouldn't happen to a senior in his final game. Um, At quarterback, the the fourth quarter of the ASU game the previous year, costly interception, missed exchange with J.J. Taylor, um, that's how you lose games. And when your defense is lacking in difference makers or it's lacking in depth at certain positions, you need other aspects of the team to step up and make up for that. And one way to do that is to have an efficient ball control offense.
0: So we talk about that where, in theory, if there is a season for Arizona, the quarterback situation is a little bit more settled and the skill position guys are there, the defense, we'll see who's left, (laughs) I guess, by the time the coaching staff gets their hands on everybody. But let's talk about that defensive coaching staff, too. Someone made all those hires, and he had to, right? I mean, no one's going to be upset that he replaced the defensive side of the coaching staff because the defense was not good the last couple of seasons. But they did bring in guys who are more teachers, more veteran coaches. Was that by design? where I know Brett mentioned it earlier, that it seems like they have guys to build up the talent they do have because they're not going on getting five-star guys. Was that the goal in mind that someone had when assembling that staff?
2: Yeah, I think there were two things that he was trying to accomplish. One was, as you mentioned, to bring in more experience. You know, I think that Kevin Sumlin is a CEO type of head coach, right? He's not going to be one who's meddling in meeting rooms or jumping into drills, um, or that type of thing. He's just that style. And I think he wants someone who can run the show over there. And Paul Rhodes has extensive experience, not only as a defensive coordinator, but as a head coach um, at uh, Iowa State. So, you know, you can give the defense to Paul, let him do his thing. The other thing that I think um, he wanted to accomplish was a better chemistry within the coaching staff, better cohesion. There was a lot of infighting, Last year, coaches not being on the same page, that and it, when that happens, it can sort of infiltrate, um, you know, the personnel on that side of the ball as well. So Paul Rhodes had a lot of say in which coaches were hired on that side of the ball. Um, he and Andy Boo, I want to say he and Andy Boo and Stan Egan actually lived together for a little while after they all arrived here. Uh, before they, you know, found their own places and stuff, so you can see that that, that type of thing, you you can build a lot of chemistry that way. Imagine the it's not something you have having over a <laughs> place <then>. yeah, right? <laughs> 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 yes, party central uh, for those guys, but that's something that we don't talk about that much, right? It's like the coaching staff being able to work together. I don't feel like everyone was necessarily rowing in the same direction last year or the year before for a variety of reasons, you know, whether that was the issues at quarterback or the sort of mishmash staff that was put together, combination of newcomers and, and holdovers. Um, you know, I think there's the potential at least for, um, a, a just a, a, better fitting coaching staff kind of coming together for the Wildcats.
1: So Michael, one last question that I think we'll let you go. Cause you've been so generous with your time and we really appreciate it. We've, Thoroughly enjoyed the conversation. Um, I guess it. What would you leave our listeners, who are obviously all uh, Wildcat fans, Wildcat football fans? You know, big picture Arizona football program that you you're you're very well familiar with. You understand the ins and outs. You you know you know what's going on. Should should Arizona fans? You know, they seem to fall into the optimistic or pessimistic, and very few people are in between what what would be your how what, what would be your description to the to the fans of what the state of the program is today and going forward over the next say 2 to 3 years
2: yeah i would say that my personal experience has been that there are more pessimistic fans than there are optimistic ones um i mean every time that uh, a recruit you know gets an offer from uh, an- another power 5 school or quote unquote bigger school at uh, the Everyone just comes out and says, oh, man, we're going to lose him. It's over. Bye. See ya. Um, so there's this sort of inferiority complex, I feel like, that a lot of the fans have. And I, and I get it because Arizona's never been to the Rose Bowl. Um, Arizona really hasn't been a consistent winning program compared to, you know, let's say, USC um, or Washington or Oregon. Uh, but as far as the state of the program right now, I, I guess my advice would be to just be patient. You know, um, they've got a plan. They've put that plan in place. Um, it's probably going to take time for the plan to come together. Um, and, you know, what you want to see when they play, start playing football games again is even if they lose, maybe they're more competitive in those games. You know, to me, there's a big difference between, you know, losing by one point at UCLA, like hap- when Retrod Rod started, Um, that one game uh, in 2018 and what the Utah and Oregon games looked like last year. You know, you want to be competitive in the games that you lose. You want to spring a couple of upsets. Uh, You want to generate some momentum uh, for the program and in recruiting. And I think it's possible that they can do that. Um, But like we said earlier, the, the offense really has to perform well to make up for some of the issues um, that are lingering on
1: defense. I think you're right with the pessimistic fans, Michael. We joked about it a week or two ago in this pod that player like Jamirian Peterson, People who are on the boards or on Twitter saying, "Ah, another middling three star recruit," and he gets a Ole Miss or Mississippi State offer, and people go, "Ah, State, yeah. he's 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 basically gone. We can't keep the good talent. It's this. It's the same fans, <laughs> which you can't have it both ways. Yeah, that's right.
2: Yeah, I know. It's sort of a it's sort of a self fulfilling prophecy." Uh, In a way, but like I said, I like I like a lot of what I've seen and the stuff that they've done. Um, But as we as we talked about, bottom line, you got to win some games, you know, or else. I mean, I don't think Kevin Sumlin um, has any chance of being fired anytime soon because they're in no position to pay any buyouts or they might not even be able to pay the salaries of the people who are on their staff. Right now, the way things are going, um, and maybe that is the same a year from now. But you know, they can't go three and nine if they play a full season in twenty twenty one. Now they can't go four and eight. Um, or I think that we'll be talking about another uh, new staff and, and in a whole new direction. And I, I got Undefeated in twenty
0: twenty. <laughs> <laughs> one more question you mentioned about how. Yeah. Arizona, they have to start winning, and there's always that fear they're going to lose players to the better programs or bigger programs. Do you think Arizona has it in it to get to that level, or what would you say Arizona's program, the way
2: things are constituted right now, what's their ceiling? The The best case scenario, in my opinion, would be to, to be somewhere around the Utah range, you know, where you're pretty consistently winning eight or nine games and you're contending for the division championship every four or five years you know maybe you could make a case that they were there under rich rod um things fell off a cliff in 2016 um you know that crazy amount of injuries and they went three and nine um i don't know how sustainable it would have been because he didn't recruit As well, Um, as I don't don't think he recruited as well as this staff is in terms, as far as specific positions, um, defensive line, offensive line, bringing in size, um, you know, ignoring the state of Texas, um, in order to you know build a, a sustainable, consistent winning program that can get into that eight to nine win range every year. I think you do need to be really successful on the field, and you need to um, be successful in those recruiting hotbeds like Texas and Louisiana. And, you know, at least so far in the 2021 class, they've done that. Whether all those guys stick around, you know, that, that's another story.
1: Well, it seems like the difference between the Richrod classes and the Sumlin classes so far is that. You know, Richrod was maybe swinging for the fences a, a decent amount, and a lot of those four-star guys, for various reasons, didn't pan out. And if you're a program like Arizona and you have that many misses, and you don't have the depth, that's where injuries mean you have any of them. You know, that there goes a three-and-nine season. No matter what you, you know, most teams can field a starting lineup, but if you don't have the depth there, and you're you need to have it in football. It's a violent sport, right?
2: <laughs> To, you know to, to extend your analogy a little further, like I have no problem whatsoever with them like swing for doubles and triples, you know, hitting the ball in the gap, uh, bringing in guys that you can develop, but you have to have success on the field too. You, know, you can't just be like, "Oh, we're developing guys for down the road." Um, you have to sort of layer it where you've got guys who can play now and you have developmental guys in the pipeline, and they're not there right now, yeah. frankly. Um, especially with the guys that they've lost.
1: Well, Adam, we've analogized football to basketball and baseball. Now, do you have a sport to analogize it to, or we, should we uh, should we call it a day?
2: If
0: Michael <laughs> can analogize it to water polo or something, I'd be very impressed. Cur- but curling, can curling. We, would can be we I think yeah. <laughs> 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 like Arizona can sweep the LA schools, maybe the Bay Area schools, and the nice. Coast, oh, that's well done. Great. Yeah, I've done some curling <laughs> in my day, but <laughs> but Michael, before <laughs> we well let done. you go. If yeah, you want to give people a chance to hear, tell everyone that you do want football to happen. <laughs> <laughs> we'll give you that opportunity on Wildcat Radio 2.0. Great. We feel like you might yes. not that here.
2: Here's yes. The uh, contrary to what you might uh, read uh, on Twitter or, or hear, uh, speaking for my, myself and all of my fellow uh, sports writers, we all want football to happen. Just because we report the bad news doesn't mean that we – are supporters or advocates of the bad news. You know, our, my job depends on college sports happening. So obviously I want college sports to happen. Is that good? That works for
0: us. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Michael Lev, Arizona daily star. You can find him on, on Twitter. If you want to apparently at Michael J. Lev, always great content, Arizona football, baseball, also shares a lot of the other news that comes from Arizona. You guys do a great job. We really appreciate your writing. We value you as a one of our sources for content on this show and topic ideas. And you know, we're very excited to have you on and join us and share all that information, knowledge, and wisdom you brought to us.
2: So, thanks, fellas. It was fun. Let's
0: do it again yeah, sometime,
2: huh? Yeah, definitely. Would love to.
0: All right. So thank, that's Michael Lev, Arizona Daily Star. And we'll come back with a little bit more Wildcat Radio 2.0 after this break. Welcome back. And... I guess, Brett, if you wanted to be optimistic about football happening, Michael Lev is probably not the guy to talk to. But if you want to feel better about where the program is, Arizona football is, I think he probably helped you do that.
1: Yeah, as is often the case with Michael Lev and his takes, I I find myself agreeing with most of them and his perspective, which is one of the reasons I really appreciate following him. I mean, I think he echoed a lot of things we've talked about on this show that you can see the plan being laid out and 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 followed, even if they're not getting everything the the way they want to precisely. They're, I think you talked about building like that, you know, the foundation, that architecture and structure and the and the depth between. And that goes down to the coaching staff and how you recruit. Um, you know, that doesn't that doesn't necessarily mean optimism for, you know, competing for the Pac-12 South in whatever season may or may not happen uh, that would have been the fall of 2020 season, but you got to feel better about the general direction. And I, I tend to think he's right. Um, And I tend to think he's right on the perception of what's, what are the risks of uh, other conferences with coronavirus and the, the, and the ability for the PAC 12 to have a a spring football season. Um, But yeah, I, I think overall, I think he's got it on the, on the, he hit it on the nose and, you know, it's interesting to hear his perspective because he talks to the players all the time, their families, the coaching staff. And to me, it's it's about as close as guys like you and I are going to get uh, these days to kind of hearing it from the horse's mouth uh, in terms of what's really going on inside the program. And I think the the under the undercurrent or the theme of everything is saying it seems like the program is uh, a little less scattered now with the new defensive staff. Uh, the way they're recruiting, the players that are on the roster. The lack of, uh, you know, there's not confusion over a quarterback and a leader. So yeah, I think you got to feel, you got to feel pretty good after uh, that conversation.
0: Yeah, and the one thing that, like, one of the things that stuck out to me too is like we've been on this show and we've talked about how we do think someone in that coaching staff have things going, at least a good plan in place. Whether they can execute it or not remains to be seen. But that recruiting has been better. The type of player they're recruiting is a better type of player. The coaching staff that they have now assembled is a solid coaching staff. And I can understand if someone would listen to that on Wildcat radio and think those guys are being homers, right? It's Wildcat radio. You know, but Michael Lev is not on he's not a Wildcat radio guy. He's Arizona Daily Star. He is a reporter and one of the best reporters for a college football program that you're gonna find in the country. Like Arizona's lucky to have him covering them. And he's measured in his talk about them, but he was saying that he does think that things are moving in the right direction. Now, that, like you said, doesn't mean he thinks they're going to become Oregon or USC level, like contending for that Pac-12 all the time, but he does think they can get to that utah level where you are winning eight games a year and competing for the conference title or a division title every four or five seasons, which I think is about our expectation, too. But I, and the question is, and no one will know the answers if someone can be the guy who gets them there. And we would have had a better idea after a 2020 season if he could have been. And obviously now a 2020 season is not going to happen. But the nice thing, too, that Michael kind of confirmed is that someone and his staff have handled this time well. Right. Like his demeanor, his calm approach, which a lot of people don't like on the sidelines when you're losing. And when you win, you're calm, cool and collected when you're losing. You just don't care. You're nonchalant. But someone's approach during a time that no one has a playbook for. Has been apparently welcomed and praised by players and the families of these players. So, if nothing else, you have to feel good about where Arizona football, what that coaching staff has done during a time when no one knows what to do. It's scary, it's worrisome, it's confusing, and they're guiding the program through it.
1: Yeah, I think that, I think, you know, through that whole conversation and, you know, reading what comes out from the players if you follow them on twitter uh the the people that have left the program recently notwithstanding it seems like they're that someone in the leadership and his in his coaching staff have handled everything about as well as possible through all the mayhem and you know they're still losing players they don't want to lose but you know it seems like they're holding it together as best they can yeah and that you know we'll we'll see if that kind of uh stability for lack of a better term in leadership, you know, maybe helps, uh, in an environment where, you know, that may instill some self-discipline among the the program, which may not have been the case under other coaching staffs. And in a long time where you're not going to have organized, didn't have organized practices and you may not again, if the season, you know, with the season being delayed and you have limited, uh, ability to kind of control your players when they're not playing games in the fall. That may pay off in spades down the down the road compared to other programs.
0: And you mentioned the coaching staff; like that's one thing that I kind of jumped out to me too is that, and maybe we had heard the rumblings, but how the defensive coaching staff, especially, may not have been on the same page for the last two seasons. Which obviously there
1: was a the clean house <laughs> on that side. I mean, rumblings. One guy punched Threw a the guy punch, in the yeah, face.
0: Yeah, I mean, so, but that <laughs> that's a problem, and I, it seems like that's been fixed. Because if that was still a problem now, going through this off season, can you imagine what a cluster things would be for them? You know, because you need your coaching staff to be on the exact same page through all this, esp- giving the right message, especially doing everything virtually. <laughs> you know, and at least now some of the players are on campus, but you need to have the right coaching staff or at least a solid coaching staff in place for this. And to your point about guys who have been leaving, you know, Tony Fields, I think, what do you go to, West Virginia now? You know, him, Young, when they left, that was because they didn't want to be part of the Arizona program anymore. The Schooler brothers leaving had nothing to do with Arizona. It had to do with the Pac-12, and that's something that Michael mentioned, too, where it's like it's not something like, – Colin Schooler and Brendan School were not. Brendan I Schooler transferred to Arizona to play for the Wildcats this season. You know he wasn't trying to leave. Colin Schooler wasn't looking to leave, but they want to go play football. And as of right now, it's it just can't happen at the U of A this fall. It's, I guess, I don't know, because you look at Arizona and it's hard to be, it's hard to be truly optimistic about things, right? Because they haven't been good, and until you see the results on the field you can't assume they will get better. But, like Michael was talking about, Ganell, the right type of quarterback, the skill position guys here, offensive line has some talent, depending on who makes it to the next season, and a coaching staff that is better at teaching. like There's reason to believe, every reason to believe, that they're getting better, and not just because they can't get any worse.
1: Yeah, I mean, fans' emotions are tied to the narrative, for the most part, better or worse. And the narrative... Is- is generally tied to wins and losses, right? Like it's a, it's an outcome-based business. And the fan, and right now the fans have, have had no games to see any progress. They can only, you know, imagine and hope that there's progress being made. We can maybe see some indications through reports, through, you know, uh, you know, Michael Leves and Justin Spears is reporting at the Daily Star, some other, uh, you know, the insider groups. Mm-hmm. Um, but until they get on that field and, Put some wins on the on the on the you know on the standings. There's not much that's going to make some fans feel better, and I and to some extent I understand that, and it's kind of their right as a fan.
0: When it's not Michael Love's job to make you feel better, right? He's right. just reporting what's out there. You know, we we got his observations. I we were so excited to get him on because like when we had Justin Spears on a few weeks back too. These guys are around the program. They're talking to the players. They're talking to the coaches, and it's good to get that. They're they're down in Tucson. They're amongst the Arizona fans and the population that's down there that goes to all the games. So to hear their perspective, to hear Michael's perspective, especially on this show, that was nice because it made me feel like we're not crazy. You <laughs> know, <laughs> like, like that's good because you can't see signs of progress, but you need to see them on the field for it to really matter. And like up to this point, everything that Kevin Summon could do from, I guess, January until now, you know, as we get mid to late August, you could argue he's nailed it. But until he gets on the field, that's when you're going to have questions, you know, because you still can't be sure that things are going the right way. And then it seems like every week or every other week they're losing a key player, at least a linebacker anyway. <laughs> like, that doesn't make you feel good. But it's nice when it's not their fault. And you mentioned that, too. Like, it's, people are going to be like, what, like, why did schooler leave, right? Like, it's, that's your middle linebacker. That's your leader on defense. And now he's just up and leaving. But it's not because of Arizona. It's because he can't play football in Arizona until the earliest January. And does he want to play a January season, even an abbreviated one, and then try to get to an NFL camp in May, in June? That's a lot to ask for. So you know, it's every I, I don't expect this to be the last player Arizona loses to the idea of a transfer, and certainly Arizona's not gonna be the only player or the only program that loses players either to the NFL draft or just to trying to transfer to another program that will that thinks they're gonna play. In the fall, but it's just, it's bad Arizona news that has nothing to do with Arizona.
1: Yeah. And I, you know, <laughs> I think that's going to, that's going to be the narrative that is going to be the narrative until we play a game in maybe 2021, <laughs> January, February.
0: As you've already said,
1: <laughs> you know, it's, it's hard to operate the VCR in my brain, Adam. Sometimes the, the button sticks. <laughs> 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 Maybe
0: that's where we should end it then, so you can kind of repair that <laughs> brain of yours. But we'd like to thank Michael Lev again for joining us on today's show. Great insight into the Wildcat football program. And as you heard him say, he, like the rest of us, we want football to happen. Nobody who likes football or covers football wants it to go away and not come back. Reporting the news and the facts is not the same as liking that news and liking those facts. So if you're out there listening to us and you think people like Michael Lev or us don't want football to happen, just stop it. That is not (laughs) the case.
1: And Adam, you should really not be wearing the uh, I root for the virus shirt while while we're recording this. It's
0: laundry day. (laughs) <laughs> uh, it's the only one I had. And the good news is I can bring that one out every like five or six years. Now there's going to be a new virus. so you know, I'll get a lot of get a lot of mileage out of that shirt. <laughs> I don't really have a shirt. This says I root for their virus. Just just putting that out there. This is a podcast. No. Y'all can't see what I'm wearing. I don't own a shirt that says that the shirt I am wearing says we'll write for food like that's Which accurate. is ironic,
1: which is ironic in the context of the statement. Uh, or I guess not ironic as much as fitting. That, as somebody that writes about sports, it, that it, it you does, want sports to happen,
0: it does fit too. So it is a nice, you know, it it fits on many levels for what we got going <laughs> on. But thank you for listening to this show. We really appreciate. it. Make sure you're listening to Wildcat Radio. Uh, follow us on the Twitter at Wildcat Radio AZ. If you have any questions, we'll do some mailbags over the course of the next however many weeks and months this goes on because, hey, we're all in the same boat here. We want sports to happen. We have questions. We have thoughts on the programs, especially as players leave or join with recruiting. Like, there's still stuff going on. That's what we led with Michael. It's just like the news never stops, it seems like, for Arizona athletics. And I guess for our purposes, that's a good thing. But, yeah, smash the subscribe button on Wildcat Radio 2.0. Listen to the play-by-play checks that Bryant and the gang have been putting together was looked past because while we all want new sports games to happen it's never a bad thing to listen to old sports games that were good that were wins we like wins it's been a while I mean the last basketball game for Arizona we saw was a win but that was a long time ago
1: we were so young
0: then <laughs> so young and naive back in early <laughs> March <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> nothing that, that's it you're
1: going leave me hanging there <laughs> Well, I got wistful thinking about the lost months of COVID-19.
0: Fair, fair. But, yeah, thanks for listening. We'll do this again next week. And until then, remember to bear down. Bear down.